You're listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Ross Strader. We're so glad you've joined us today, and as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter, at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. All right, listen, if you've got your Bibles, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, we started a a series last week called Living Generously. We're looking at two chapters in this uh, letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians, the second letter that we have. And um, like I told you last week, I'll tell you again this week, Paul, in the middle of this letter, takes two chapters, and he really is writing kind of a fundraising part of the letter to the church. But I, on the other hand, am not preaching a fundraising sermon. There is no big ask at the end of this, so you don't have to worry about that. Um, uh, There's there's no uh, bait and switch on that deal. But what we're looking at, so, so Paul, what he's talking about is a theology of what we have. Now, not just our money, although it includes that, but our whole life. And so what I want us to do is that we ask and answer, um, hopefully answer, the question, how do I view what I have, whether it's money or time or opportunity or education or whatever it is, how do I view what it is that I have? Last uh, Saturday night, so not last night, but the week before, when the the Saturday night before the Sunday I started this generosity series, I'll tell you what I was doing. We um, played a family game. We don't play a lot of family games around our house. I think it's probably me. Um, but we were playing Monopoly. And the, uh, we were playing actually a version of Monopoly my kids made up called Meganopoly, where you take two boards, you split one in half and stick it on each end. And so it's, it's twice as big. One of the games came with the credit card reader, you know, the, the evil Monopoly. And then the other one, um, just the regular with, with the money. And so you play some combination of both credit and money. We learn, it's crazy. And um, so anyways, we play it. Here's the thing i got to confess to you, though. The, the best part of me does not come out during Monopoly. In fact, um, th- there's, it frightens much. I think Catherine is like, Dad, you're, you're kind of scaring me. And uh, now my wife, she's unfazed. She stays. She is benevolent. She is caring for the needs of everybody on the board. Not me. Man, I'm out to get them. I mean, I'm uh, looking out for me. I'm doing deals. I'm, I'm trading. I'm buying. I am trying to run my children into the ground. Piling up hotels into the low market. I am a slum, monopoly slumlord, Okay. Really, you know, there's no, by the way, there's no churches in Monopoly. Uh, there's a jail, income tax, free parking, no, no churches in Monopoly. Toward the end of the game, so my children are totally dejected. I'm the king of the board, basking in all of my Monopoly wealth. And this thought occurred to me, it's like, oh, hey, I'm preaching on generosity tomorrow. <laughs> so instead of being convicted, I just reframed it. Is like, oh, well, I'm just doing, just doing some research here uh, about the everyman. Uh, the research into how black my heart is, really. I mean, the truth is, here's the deal. We all know monopoly is not real life. I mean, at least not for most of us. But, but it's so easy to get into a monopoly frame of mind. 
isn't it? Where we begin to see the world, you know, the blinders kind of close in and we go, oh, okay, this is all about me. I have to get mine. And I have to do it now. You know, so that's what Paul's writing to the Corinthians. See, as a Christian, here's the reality. If you're a believer in Christ, you're ruined to the way of the world in some ways. I mean, one way in particular is how you view the life that you live. Where, where the world might look and say, listen, you've really made something of yourself. You uh, really worked hard. You've, you've invested wisely. You earned a great education. You have a great career, so on and so on. And then the world says, man, good job. You've earned this. You deserve everything coming your way. See, the Christian has to look at life and say, you know what? I didn't, I didn't choose or make any of this. I didn't choose where I was born. I didn't choose when I was born. All the opportunities in my life, they, they've been a gift. My first breath was a gift. Whatever I have, I have to call it a gift. I am created in the image of God the same way a 12th century peasant in a remote village is created in the image of God. I did not create this life. I am a steward of this life. Everything is from God. In fact, Paul says as much in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, what do you have that you did not receive? And then if you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? And that's what the Christian says. In some ways, we're, we're ruined to, to the world and the way that it thinks. Ruined in a good way, in a redeemed way. We, we see things differently. And so that's what Paul's doing here. That's what he's trying to do in this letter to the Corinthians, the whole letter. He's helping them see more clearly how things are from God's point of view. And he started off, we looked at it last week at the beginning of the, of the chapter, beginning of chapter 8, we started off and he begins, the very first thing he says in chapter 8 verse 1 is, listen, what I'm going to tell you about, I mean of all these things I'm going to say, what I'm talking to you about is the grace of of God. It's right there in verse 1. And grace is the same word. You can translate it generosity. The, the generosity of God. That's what he's talking about. And then he tells the Corinthians about this Macedonian church, the, the, the church in Philippi. And, and they were, everybody knew, I mean, it was famous. I mean, they, they were poor. They, they were more poor than anybody. And they were afflicted and persecuted. And he said, man, these folks, they know about the grace of God. It's overflowed in their life in the midst of all this. And then in the next paragraph, what we're going to look at today, beginning in verse 8, is Paul's going to address the heart of giving, which it turns out is actually the heart. How you are motivated to give. What's the motivation behind giving? So, so if you look with me, or being generous, if you look with me in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, I'm going to begin in verse 8, and I'm going to read through to, to verse 15, and we'll talk about it. He writes this, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 8, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And in this matter I give my judgment. This benefits you who a year ago started not only to do this work, but also to desire to do it. So now finish doing it as well, so that your readiness in desiring it may be matched by your completing it out of what you have. For if the readiness is there, the, the willingness, it's acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. For I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need, so that their abundance may supply your need, that there may be fairness. As it's written, whoever gathered much had nothing left over, and whoever gathered little had no lack. Well, the first thing to notice in this paragraph, beginning in verse 8, is where Paul says, listen, I'm not giving you a command here. I'm, I'm not, this is no command, this is no thus says. Instead what he's doing, he's illustrating for them the, the earnestness, the, the zeal of the Macedonian churches. And by illustrating generosity, they would be inspired to love. See, generosity, listen, generosity is not commanded by God. There is no law of generosity. There's no law of generosity to be obedient to. Because listen, if it's, if it's merely a law that's followed, then by definition, it's not generosity. Paul knows this. Generosity cannot be extracted from Christians. It, it ceases to be Generosity. God's not trying to pry anything out of your hand. This is not a Christian tax that Paul's trying to exact. Instead, here's what he said. He said, to prove the earnestness of others, the, the, the Macedonians, to, to prove by the earnestness of what I see here, this evidence of God's grace, to prove that your love also is genuine. See, when Paul uses the word prove here, it's a word that means he's giving them a test. He's, he's giving them a metric, if you will. The, the word prove, it literally means to show something to be true. So in this context, it's the outworking of the principles of their Christian belief. It is, is what you believe or what you say you believe, is it lived out on the street. It's not just laboratory truth, it's, it's street truth. So it's like a test, but not a, not a pass-fail test. It's a test of how deeply has the grace of God penetrated your heart so that it's lived out in your life. We're going to see Paul's essentially saying to the Corinthians, hey, listen, have you grasped the spiritual riches that are yours in Christ? Have you gotten a hold of that? Do, do you know that they're yours? I mean, so up to this point, he's used Macedonia, these churches, as exhibit A. So, so then we're talking about the grace of God. I want to show you exhibit A. These are the Macedonian churches. He's not pitting one church against another. 
He's just saying, look, that's a good standard of measure. That's what it looks like. He's not giving them a benchmark. He says, hey, look, Macedonian joy, earnestness, enthusiasm, that's a good way to measure for you. Not amount. I'm not talking about amount. I'm talking about, do you have that kind of joy and enthusiasm and zeal? Hey, Corinth, nobody wants what's begrudgingly given. It's not generosity. It's, it's, not, a, it's not a monopoly tax. You didn't land on the question mark not to pay everybody around the board. So in verse 8, he's saying, listen, generosity is not a matter of law. It's a matter of love. And then in verse 9, what he does is he's going to raise the bar again. So if the Corinthians thought the Macedonians were a high bar, and they, and they were, verse 9, the bar gets even higher. Look at what he says. For you know the grace or the generosity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty might become rich. So, so listen, if you take notes in your Bible, here's what you can do. You can underline this, um, yet for your sake he became poor. You can underline that, and in the margin, you can write incarnation. That's what he's talking about, the incarnation. And if you've got a four-color pen, switch to a different color, mark the whole verse, and you can write out next to that verse, see, only, only the real study people have, have four-color pens. And right, Dante? Right? So, one in red, one in green, you know how it goes. So, write gospel. It's a summary of the gospel. You know, Paul does this. The writers of the New Testament, they do this. They drop these sort of one-line summaries, and it's going to help us to understand, okay, what does he mean? He became poor. What does it mean that Jesus became poor? Well, listen to a couple of these other things. These also describe the incarnation. It's going to help us to know what he means here. In Philippians chapter 2, he says it this way. Jesus, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born into the likeness of men. Stepped out of eternity and into humanity. He stepped out of the wealth and riches of eternity into the poverty of humanity. In Romans, he says it this way, Romans 15, he says, For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. I took your place. Everything you deserved, I stepped in and took it. Then the writer of Hebrews, he says it this way, looking to Jesus, the founder and per perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So what we find out is that generosity is a divine attribute. God is... Generous. He's gracious. 
And that generosity, that grace is displayed at the cross. And so here's what we know. As Paul's using this language, we know that rich and poor, they're spiritual categories. The poverty and riches that are of infinite concern are spiritual. He became poor. So it's not material poverty, although Jesus probably he wasn't wealthy. What he's talking about is spiritual poverty. And at the same time, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. It's not material wealth. You're the guy on TV, say, Jesus wants you to be rich. And he, and he, and he quotes this verse, just turn it off. Turn, go to Star Trek on the other channel, all right? You're going to do a lot better for yourself. It, it's not material wealth, it's spiritual wealth. Now listen, Paul is, is appealing to, to an understanding, a, a way of seeing the world. It, it says this, to the degree that we grasp the riches that we have in Christ, the spiritual riches, it's the degree to which material riches become irrelevant. To, 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 so let's say it this way. To, to be rich materially and to grasp material riches, th those aren't necessarily the same thing. Well, the Bible's clear. Listen, it can be difficult to have material wealth and at the same time have a firm grasp on spiritual riches. But it is very possible because of Jesus. Without Him, it's like a camel going through the eye of the needle. But it's possible with Jesus. And thank God it's possible. Thank God there are people that are fabulously wealthy, and yet they're not clinging to, to earthly wealth and material wealth. They're clinging to the riches in Christ. Thank God for that. So this incarnation, this, this becoming poor, the, the generosity of Jesus means that the grace, the the generosity of God, it was poured out where we live. It was poured out into our world, into our existence, into our humanity. God's generosity met us on the street. It found us in the dark alleys. It came to us in our poverty. It, it sought us out. And so by the same token, generosity is to be poured out where we live. In our lives, through our lives, in the streets. So you see, generosity is not just a concept to intellectually understand. It, it's not a passing feeling. It's, it's not a life filled with good intentions. Generosity is the outworking of our grasp of the riches that we have in Christ. So have you, have you grasped the spiritual riches that are yours? Do you know that they're yours in Christ? The Macedonians, they were a Incredible example. I mean, an inspiring example. I mean, you can't hardly hear about the Macedonians and think, man, I want to be like them. But the reality is, the only thing that will transform your heart into a generous heart, a gracious heart, 
is Jesus, who became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. That's what Paul means. So in verses 10 through 12, he is he's going to say, look, I'm going to give you my judgment in this matter. Here's what I discern, and I discern that it benefits you. And he, he, he's saying, hey, listen, a year ago, you guys started this. In fact, the way it's translated in many of the versions of the Bible, you were the first to do this. When you heard about this Jerusalem project, we were going to send money to the poor in Judea. You were the first to say, man, we want to be in on this. And he says, okay, you started that. And in fact, here's the thing. Not only did you want to and you did start it, you had this desire to do it. No, nobody, nobody coerced you into this. You wanted to do this. But some time has passed. They've been distracted. The relationship with Paul got weird. And so he's reminding them, listen, finish what you started. And then in verse 12, he counsels them about generosity according to what they have, not according to what they don't have. So he didn't set a certain amount here. He never does. He's talking about proportional giving. He leaves it to the conscience of the believer. Now, here's what's interesting. You, you make of this what you want to make of it. He says, look, according to what you have, I'm not asking you to do anything according to what you don't have. That's my instruction. I, what I'm going to illustrate, though, are these Macedonians. They, man, they did way more than they could have. And, and Jesus, well... But my instruction is, according to what you have. There's an old Scottish preacher, and he tells a story about this worship service a long time ago. And he, they, were taking a, they were taking an offering in the worship service, and a, and a member of the congregation, he accidentally put a, put a crown in, and he, and he meant to put a penny. It's old British currency. He realized what he had done, and he grabs the usher, pulls him back, says, hey, uh, can I have that coin back? I put the wrong one in. The usher said, in once, in forever. So he said, ah, well, at least I'll get credit for it in heaven. And the usher said, no, you'll get credit for a penny. That's what you intended. See, if the readiness is there, that's what Paul said. It is, this is the heart. It's not about the amount, it's about the heart, the meaning, the willingness. Give according to what you have. That's acceptable. That's generous. And then in 13 and 14, look at what he says. So listen for the word fairness. He's going to use it twice in 13 and 14. Your Bible, if you have something different than the ESV, you might say equality. It says, for, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that it's a matter of fairness or, or equality. Your abundance at the present time should supply their needs so that their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. And then he goes on in verse 15 to quote Exodus chapter 16 and says, As it's written in Exodus chapter 16, whoever gathered much had nothing left over and whoever gathered little had no lack. So, so here's what he's saying. It's not, this is not... Um, the aim is equality. This isn't communism. I'll tell you what equality means in a minute. It's not a transfer of wealth as much as it is a transfer of burden, a 
sharing of the burden. And then he quotes verse, and in 15 he quotes Exodus chapter 16. Now here's what's happening in Exodus chapter 16. Um, They're in the wilderness, the Israelites. They've come out of slavery, they're in the wilderness, they're wandering in the wilderness, and the Israelites are mad and they're grumbling and they're hungry, and they go to Moses, they say, hey Moses, here's the deal, we remember the good old days. You know, the good old days of slavery. You know how good they were. And the way they remember it is we sat by pots of meat and we ate bread till our fill. To which if I'm Moses, I'm like, go back. I mean, take off. But he doesn't. What happens is God heard the grumbling. And he shows up to Moses and says, hey, here's what I'm going to do for the Israelites. I've heard them. I've heard them complain. Here's what I'm going to do. Every morning with the dew. I'm going to rain down bread from heaven. Angel food. Rain it down. And all they got to do is walk outside of their tent and eat. And so they do. And then Moses goes on to describe, okay, here's how it's going to work. Manna has a shelf life of one day. You take an omer, which is a bowl or some kind of a deal, and it holds about two liters. You fill the omer. You fill it for you and for those in your tent. But no more than that. Just all you're taking is what you need. So some take more, some take less. You just take, but don't save it. So eat it, but you can't hoard it. Don't build a barn for manna, because here's the thing. And they tried it. They tried it. They, they tried it. They tried to say, listen, here's what I'm going to do. I want to really want to sleep in the next couple of days. Um, it's probably all the high school kids did this. Well, I'm going to just fill my omer like three times full. I can sleep in the next two days and I don't have to worry about it until Thursday. Well, you wake up the next morning and instead of manna cereal, you have worms. It rots. It's only good for a day. Everybody had what they needed. Everyone was dependent on God every day dependent see everything we have is from God remember Paul said what do you have that you didn't receive and he's saying look Corinthians God's given you more at this certain time and less to the ones in Jerusalem but God's provided for all of his people He's going to provide through you. The principle Paul's teaching is that Christians do not keep for themselves everything they receive from God. God provides for them. This provision is also to enable them to help others. And then listen, there's a blessing for the giver and the receiver. I mean, imagine this. You've got a 21-year-old strapping Israelite man, right? Wearing whatever he... He wears. But I'm sure you can see his guns, you know. And he's got energy. I mean, way more energy than an omer full of manna. I mean, he could could collect four or five or ten times that amount. And it dawns on him, there's this lady in the tent over a few ways. And she's old. She's barely kind of making it from place to place through the wilderness. Her feet are swelling. I mean, her shoes aren't wearing out, but her feet are swelling. 
is particularly bad in the morning. So he goes over and grabs her omer, or helps her, and helps her fill it. And so he has all he needs. She has all she needs. She couldn't gather as much, but he helps her. It's a great blessing for her. It's a great blessing for him. John Stott's helpful in this area of equality. Here's what he says. Equality is not egalitarianism. It does not mean that we're all the same. It's not cloning. It's not uniformity. There is diversity. By God's design, there's diversity among us. The church, he goes on, the church is aiming at an equality where no man is ashamed of his poverty in light of affluence, and no man is ashamed of his affluence in light of poverty. And then he says this. This is great. You want to know a test for the church? Here's a test for a local church. Inequality is too great if it keeps us from being comfortable in each other's homes. It's too great. If it keeps us from being comfortable in each other's homes. So far... We've been talking about equality in terms of money, Christian giving. It's a, it's a right thing to talk about. I mean, we shouldn't be embarrassed to talk about Christian giving in the midst of a Christian worship service because, listen, Christianity, Christian giving, generosity is an aspect of worship. Worship is offering ourselves to God, and we can't offer ourselves to God if we withhold our money. We just can't do it. We can't. But Paul's encouragement about generosity is way bigger than money. It encompasses our whole life, our whole life generosity. Listen to what he says in Romans. He, real quick, this is what he says. For, for by grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith God has assigned for as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. And then he goes on to say, outdo each other in showing honor. You know where he writes those words? He's sitting in Corinth writing those words to the Romans. Generosity is bigger than money. It's about our whole life. It, it means, listen, we're a part of each other. We're, we're members of each other. We're dependent upon each other. Chrysostom, old fourth century, oh, they called him the golden mouth. I mean, he would preach and people would fall over, overwhelmed. A lot like a Sunday morning at Bethel, right? So, but he says this. Listen to this. This is helpful. For if there were no poor among us, the greater part of our salvation would be overthrown in that we should not have where to bestow our wealth. We'd have no place to give our wealth if there weren't poor among us so that even the poor man who appears to be useless, more useless than any, is actually the most useful of all. God's made us subject to one another so that every day we are in collision with one another. That's how he designed it. We need each other. We're dependent upon each other. He goes on to say, listen, 
This prayer that we pray. So even in the fourth century, people were saying things like this. We have mastered it. We put it on bumper stickers in America that says, listen, my goal in life is not to be dependent upon anybody for anything. To which the Bible would say that is wicked. It's satanic. Because this is not how you were created. We're members of one another. We're the body of Christ together, not alone. But live in a way with each other that's generous. I want to conclude. I got two minutes. Let's see what I can do in two minutes. You ready? I can do a lot in two minutes, as long as I don't look at the clock. So we, we took a generosity survey at the, at the end of May. All right. So, so, so many of you participated in it. Thank you so much. It was a deal you did online. It, was, it was, took four minutes, I think, some, ten minutes, something. But, but you did, and so a lot of you did. And so let me just tell you a couple of things that came out of it. One of the things um, is that, by and large, here's what it says. As a church, we get this. We understand this. All, all this generosity, we get it. We have gospel eyes to see that God's given us all that we have, but by and large, and that the church really has right thinking about generosity. And in fact, I saw that, and I'm on this conference call, and I'm like, drop the mic, I'm done. There's more pages, though, so we went through them. And there were some hard things to take in that. Let me tell you, so... so on the one hand, we get it. Let me tell you two more things about it. I'll, I'll share more of this at another time. Survey said that the majority of people in the congregation that, that, that took the survey, when they saw a need, they were likely to help. When I see a need, I'm likely to help. That's awesome. And there was a whole bunch of people that reported, here's the thing though, I don't see very many needs. I mean, if I saw a need, I'm all over that need. But I don't see very many needs. Do what you had to say. Then you're not looking. Or you live in a bubble. The guy on the survey is like, yeah, it sounds like a bubble. And I'm like, well, I want to pop that bubble. Here I am. There are needs all around. Very small percentage of the people that took it said, hey, listen, I intentionally look out for people that I can help. Here's another one. This last one I'll tell you, and then I'm going to talk about it a little bit. Might do a little shaming, but it's okay. So let me see if I can say it in a way that makes sense. 60%, over 60%, or right at about 60%, of the people that took the survey report. So in the people that took the survey, by the way, leaders, elders, people that say, man, Bethel's my church. I'm a member. I'm committed. That's who we're talking about here. Not a lot of people that say, I'm just checking out this church or whatever. About 60% of the people surveyed report they volunteer less than 
60%, volunteer or serve less than two to three hours a month at the church. When you go to serving or volunteering in the community, 75% said less than two to three or four hours a month. I tell you, it's a shockingly low number. It's not what I expected, or a high number, if you will. It's not what I expected. It's not the way I talk about it. See, we get generosity at a thinking level. As a church, though, here's what I think. I don't think it translates to our feet. I mean, listen, I get it. We're busy. I get it. We have lives. I get it. But it also says we don't have any margin in our life. Well, we aren't creating any margin. Well, we get it with our head, but we're too busy to do anything about it. And I am so convicted by that as your pastor. And I don't talk about that enough. That's not what I would have thought. Jeff Bice, our missions pastor, he tells me all the time, no, no, no. I'm like, no, Jeff, you got it wrong. I have it wrong. So I'm talking about it. And I will. Real quick, these statistics intersect with a real need that we have at our church even today. What do we need? I'll tell you what we need. We need you. We need your time. We need your life. We need your gifts and your abilities. You know where we need them? All over this place. Particularly this morning we're highlighting, we need them in children's ministry. We, We need your life in children's ministry. Survey says that a lot of people come here on a Sunday morning, attend a service, sing, hear teaching, and then they leave. And it's not ever given away. It's, It's not shared. Your life's not shared or poured out. And that is an issue of generosity in our lives. I'm not telling you what to do. This is no command that I'm laying on you. I'm just just laying it out there. Paul says, according to what you have, not, not what you don't have. There's no... Nothing being prescribed here except I'm letting you know the need and I'm asking you to pray about that need and how it intersects with your life. Can you give part of your life away to serve the kids at this church? Or or to be on the PTA or to read with kids at an elementary school or to go serve with Young Life or with Boys and Girls Club. Can you do that? That's all I'm asking. I mean, to help these get pour into them, shape how they think about the world and about God, and to help them understand and believe and love the gospel. You have an abundance of knowledge. Each person here that is a believer is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. You've been gifted for building up. You've been gifted for building up the body of Christ, for building up Bethel, for shining a light in this community. And I know it's hard. It's hard to break through that barrier of getting involved. I understand that. So let me say it this way. We need you. You're not imposing yourself on us. There's room for you. If you're not serving someplace here, let me tell you, you're missing out on the best part of being at Bethel. Serving. Serving with some of the greatest people you'll ever meet. 
Here's the other thing I want you to know, and I'll end with this. We have been praying for you already. Children's ministry team took a list of everybody we know of that comes here regularly. And if you're not serving, we've been praying for you by name. Praying for you by name. Asking that God would move in your heart and get you ready to, to serve here. And so if you get a call out of the blue from somebody, just know it's not really out of the blue. They've been praying for you. We've been praying for you. You got this deal on your seat on August 28th. Come to this. Go back there and tell Clint, hey, I want to come to that. I want to find out more about this. We'll train you. We'll equip you. We'll help you knock it out of the park on this deal. blessing when from what you have been given is given away. What Paul means. So let's, let's pray if you would with me. Father, thank you for the morning we have. and I do thank you for all the folks here at this church. And Father, you've brought us together. You're uniting us. You're building us up into one body. We, we are dependent upon each other. And Father, I thank you that you've intersected our lives together. Father, I pray we would know better how to live out the grace that you've poured into us. Father, we'd know better what it, what it looks like to live generously with each other. We could be inspired all day long, Father, just be inspired by the Macedonians, but we know that only your Son, Jesus, can change our heart, and so we ask that our hearts be changed. So that's the way we pray, Father. We, we, we pray the only way we can in the name of your Son, Jesus, and by the power of your Spirit. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.